So last week we, we talked about the immersion of the Holy Spirit. If you remember, I know that it was a week ago, my mom used to say growing up, oh, I don't remember, I've slept since then. Uh, and I, I never knew what she was talking about until I had kids. And now it's like, it just, you, you'd be surprised how many uh, times I have to go back and, uh, and, and read notes from my own sermon because I can't remember what I talked about last week. And so, um, you know, we talked out of, uh, out of Matthew chapter three, we talked about John the immerser. We went to, to John chapter 16 and we talked about what Jesus taught would be the ministry of the Holy Spirit, conviction, guidance. And then in Acts chapter one, we talked about the, the Holy Spirit would give us power and purpose. And then we went to, to Acts chapter two, and that's kind of where we landed. There are a couple things, and I want to be expedient today. I understand that it's already lunchtime, but I, uh, I want to be, so I'm going to be efficient, but there's a, a few things I want to draw out of, of Acts chapter two, things that, in fact, as many times as I have studied this passage, as many times as I have taught this passage, there's some things that I had never seen before. And I'm sure I'll say the same thing five years from now. I'm, I, the Bible is incredible in, in that way. It's, it's multidimensional in that way. But, uh, I want to go to Acts chapter two, and, and if you're, uh, if you remember from last week uh, when I was talking about this immersion of the Holy Spirit, we we talked about that this really, in many ways, was the moment the church was born, that that we went from a paradigm in which God was with us, Emmanuel was born, like Jesus became God with us, to to a paradigm in which God is in us. And, and in John sixteen, Jesus says, "It is to your advantage that I go away." For if I do not go, then, then I will not send, uh, the, the helper cannot come, right? And, and so in Jesus' opinion, it is better for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit than it is for, for us to have Jesus Christ himself standing right next to us. And so, uh, and so this is the, the moment I, on, in, uh, in Jerusalem, in the upper room, uh, in Acts chapter two, we're told the story of this group of believers, about 120 in number, who are, who are together there in uh, homothumadon, that is uh, in one accord. That's the, the Greek word, homothumadon. It's this word homo meaning one and thumadon, which is like fire, passion, a burning passion. And so uh, the picture is that these people, they're, they're seated together in this upper room. They're, they're united in passion. That's what I love about Sergei's, that uh, we may look different and talk different. We may like different music or different food. We may wear different clothes, but we, we, we're together in one passion, right? This is what the Lord sends fire on. It, it, it was in Acts chapter two and it is today when people come together unified in one common passion. Um, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with homo thumadon, with, with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound of heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. And so I, I want us to, to ask the question this morning, what does it mean or, or what does the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit produce? It's, it's cheap 
I'm not saying it's incorrect, but I'm saying it's cheap to say the infilling of the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to speak in tongues. Um, and, and here's why. Because the, 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 the gift of tongues is a, a really wonderful gift. And, and I, like Paul, wish you all spoke in tongues. And so I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't value the gift of tongues. We should. We should earnestly seek it. The Bible says that by praying in the Spirit, we can build ourselves up in the most holy faith. And so I, I, it's a gift that I, I think we, we all ought to eagerly pursue. It's a gift that we all ought to uh, operate in. But, but it, it would be selling it short to say that that's what the Holy Spirit came to give us. It's like, I love getting to kiss my wife, but thankfully we have a, a, a much more multidimensional relationship than just kissing. Like we don't just meet up once a month and give each other a kiss and then like, right, we talk, we, we communicate, we, we build, we dream, we cooperate, we work together. Like we have a, a full uh, multidimensional intimate relationship with each other, emotionally, spiritually, physically, like we're, we're interwoven with each other. See, for us to say, well, I, I want the Holy Spirit because I want to speak in tongues, or I speak in tongues because I have the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a, a cheapening of the, the real gift that the presence and the power of God living on the inside of us is. I mean, I mean it like this. Sure, you should eagerly seek um, the gift of tongues. I wish you all would speak in tongues, but even more so that you would prophesy. That's also a gift of, of the Holy Spirit. Because I'd love to understand what the Lord is speaking to you. <laughs> right? I, and, and I would say my hope is that all of us would be growing continually in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. My hope is that we would be growing in conviction and guidance. This is what Matthew 16 tells us. That we would we'd be convicted of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. That we would... We would be led into all truth, as Jesus taught us in, in John. That, as Acts chapter 1 tells us, I, my, my hope is for all of us that we would receive power because the Holy Spirit has come upon us. And not only that we'd receive power, but then we would bear witness to the resurrection and the glory of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And, and so, you know, I, I was curious about this because I was raised... Uh, in, a, in a church very comparable to like the modern Southern Baptist church where we talked about the Holy Spirit, but we didn't talk with the Holy Spirit. We didn't, uh, uh, we didn't have a, a Holy, you know, revival stuff. People weren't falling on, on the ground. Like we didn't experience the Holy Spirit. We, we studied it. And, um, and, and so when I got serious about my faith, when I got into ministry, I, I really fell in love with the Lord. I wanted to know. And so I went and found this book that's still sitting on a shelf in my office today. And the book is called Foundations of Pentecostal Theology. And uh, the first thing I did when I got this book, it's like two dictionaries. It's a lot of Pentecostal theology. It turns out you'd be surprised going to some Pentecostal churches. Um, <laughs> but it tur turns out there's some theology. And, uh, and so I... I I wanted to know, I wanted to know like what do Pentecostal people believe? And this was the summary and I thought this was so good. Uh, the author said, um, we don't pursue tongues 
because it's the only evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We pursue tongues because it's the most obvious and immediately evident evidence of the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and now here's uh, what I would take away from that. Uh, Jesus tells us, he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so while I appreciate that interpretation uh, from foundations of Pentecostal theology, I, I actually don't agree with it. And here's why. If you are saying, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit, God will never say no. The answer to that prayer is always an enthusiastic yes from the throne of heaven. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And so there's a theology that has crept into Pentecostal churches that has made people believe that you're not filled with the Holy Spirit if you, if you haven't spoken in tongues yet. That is, that is incorrect. God is not withholding that gift. The answer is always yes. If your child asks for a loaf of bread, you wouldn't give him a stone. If your child asks for a fish, you wouldn't give him a snake. And, and in the same way, if you being evil would give good gifts to your kids when they ask for them, then surely your father in heaven, he will give the Holy Spirit to all who ask him. And so, listen, I'm not a perfect father, but I, I know well enough to give my kids the things that they need. And, and similarly, my father in heaven is faithful to give the Holy Spirit to all who ask him. So if you have asked, God, fill me with your spirit, the answer was yes. The answer is today an enthusiastic yes. But my experience, and I think this is an experience for a lot of people, is that, is that the Holy Spirit will come live inside of you and, uh, and, and it, it's a process of letting the Holy Spirit take the wheel. Right, I put him in the back seat at first, like an accessory. I got this under control. You just sit back there and watch, you know. And then, and then eventually he moved up to the passenger seat, and and I said, "Well, you can give me some advice, right? Tell me what your opinion is. I'll take it into consideration." And it wasn't for years after I prayed, "God, fill me with your Holy Spirit," that I came to the point where I said, "You know what? I actually don't need to be in control at all." I don't even need to understand what you're doing. And so I, I want to yield to you. I want to submit and, and surrender to you. And I want to let you do through me what you want to do, even if I don't get it. And, and that was the night I could still tell you exactly where I was. I was sitting in a car with my friend Patrick in the gravel parking lot of my wife's dad's uh, lake house. We're sitting out there listening to a CD by Corey Russell. And, uh, Corey's a good friend of mine, an amazing man of God. And, and uh, if you've ever heard anybody pray in tongues louder than Corey Russell, I'll give you 10 bucks. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, uh, you know, I'm listening to this, uh, this teaching by Corey Russell and, and the presence of the Lord just fills the room and I just begin to pray in, in the spirit. And, and for the first time, I didn't need to understand. See, this is why praying in tongues is so beautiful is because it's an exercise in not needing to understand. It's an exercise in relinquishing control. And, uh, and it's, it's hard. Like I, I understand that's a difficult thing to do and that's precisely why you need to do it. This is one, what I intended to talk about today, but it's, this, is, this, is actually, this is actually why, one of the reasons why praying in tongues is, is such a beautiful and sacred thing. It's because it, 
it is an exercise to develop the discipline to say, God, I want it to go straight from my spirit, straight from your spirit out of me. It doesn't have to pass through the filter of my understanding first. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I laid in bed that night and my wife was trying to sleep and I was just laying in bed next to her like, you know, it would sound real creepy. And, uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you, it has revolutionized my, uh, my world, man. It is, I could tell you stories, um, about the, the, the ways that, that I've seen praying in the spirit, just, uh, change atmospheres and, um, in people's lives. And so, uh, I didn't come here to advocate for that. Like if you don't have a prayer language, I hope that you get one. I hope that you continue to, to seek the Lord and say, God, that's something that I want and I'm not gonna give up. I'm gonna pray and not lose heart. Um, it, it is beautiful, it's wonderful, it's right, it's biblical. Um, but if you, if you don't do that, you should know you're not any less saved than the person next to you who does. You're, you're right with God. He loves you very much. And, and you, like all of us, are in a process of surrendering. And so, welcome to the family. You know, we're all in this thing together. Now, um, uh, what happens here is, is that these, uh, these cloven tongues of fire, these divided tongues as of fire that sat upon each of them in Acts chapter 3, uh, these come as a, a physical manifestation or demonstration of a, a supernatural reality then it says this in verse four, it says, and they were all filled, everybody say all. all. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Everybody say began to speak. Began what did all do? There you go, good job guys. Um, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here's the first point that I wanna make today. When, when the Spirit first came into this group of believers, they all found their voice. And so one of the primary demonstrations of a truly spirit-empowered movement is that, see, what it doesn't say is that some of them spoke in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance and the rest of them sat there and soaked in the presence of the Lord. It doesn't say that half of them spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, but the other half of them just closed their eyes and raised their hands and swayed back and forth, right? It doesn't say half of them spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, but the other half, they sat on the other side and tried to decide if they were okay with this or not, right? It says that they all, they all began to speak. Can I tell you, my, my prayer this week as I've been preparing for this message has been that we would all begin to speak. That, that all of us, that it wouldn't just be the, the pastors or the teachers or the leaders and people on the platform with the microphone, that, but that we would all begin to speak in our own sphere of influence, that we'd all begin to speak in the tongue that God has given us. That's the thing I think is so beautiful about, uh, about uh, uh, Anthony Garola and his, his art ministry over here. You know, it's, it's like you can always see like a dozen, 15 kids like gathered around and, and they'll sit there and, and sometimes I've got this amazing picture of my son, Caleb, who's just turned 10, you know, down here in his little notebook and he's going like stroke for stroke with Anthony, making what Anthony's doing. See, what's happening is that he's finding a voice. Anthony is articulate with, with this voice and Caleb, he's learning to be. 
And, uh, and so he's, he's finding his voice. This is a spirit-inspired movement. You know, this has been, hey, Anthony, I didn't know where you were. Good to see you. Are you and Lauren matching? That's pretty, that's pretty adorable. I like it. <laughs> I like it. And Josh, you got a Hawaiian shirt on. I'd missed the memo. I didn't know. This was, uh, we were having a luau this, this morning. <laughs> you guys look great. Uh, <laughs> we, um, <laughs> we, we, all of us have a unique voice and maybe your voice is, 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 is your ability to communicate the mysteries of the kingdom, to proclaim the gospel. Maybe your voice is your ability to paint or to play an instrument. That's one of the things I love about, um, uh, Gabriel Wilson and the way he plays guitar, because it's, it's not like anyone else. It's like, and, and like you could hear his heart through the way he plays his instrument, you know, it's, it's, it's a voice. Like that's, you know, it, it's an amazing thing to see uh, an instrumentalist. And I had been talking to Pastor Zach for months about wanting to get together with our music team, but I'll just say here what I would have said to them. Uh, it's, it's this, that, that you need to be able to translate what's in your heart to what's coming out of your amp or, or your instrument. Like you need to become articulate enough on your instrument, if you're not good enough to do that, keep practicing. Like go back, set aside two hours a day and practice until you can hear something in the spirit and you can just play it on your instrument. Like that's, there's something so sacred about finding someone who's articulate, who's found their voice on their instrument. Do you know what I'm talking, I don't, maybe I'm just, this is just me nerding out about music here. It's to, but to see someone who's articulate, who can actually bring what's in their heart, what's in their spirit, what they're hearing from the Lord, to bring it out of their instrument, it's a beautiful thing. And so what it looks like for you to speak, I, I hope it doesn't look the same as it does when I speak. That's the beauty of the kingdom, is that 120 people can walk out into the street and they're all releasing their sound and all of them sound different. You know, one of the, one of the hallmarks of a truly spirit-inspired movement that we see here in Acts 2 is diversity of expression, but unity of message. This is a, something I've, I've taught in the past. It's that it's, you can have 120 people preaching the word of God in, in a dozen plus different languages and they're all saying the same thing. They're all saying the same, they're all preaching the same word of the same God. See, this is, this is the beauty of a, of a, of a spirit-inspired movement. It's that it's free because we're unified. We can be free because we're unified. We can be free because of homo thumidon, unity and passion, right? Because I know that you're passionate about what I'm passionate about, I don't have to control what you do. This is our, this is our dilemma as pastors, as leaders. It's that we, we are always tempted to control the people we're leading. You should, this is my big confession. This is, again, it's that Pastor Ian puts it like this. You know, you've heard it said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Pastor Ian says, like, God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. You know, it's like, if you would just do what I told you. Um, and, uh, and there's always the temptation as leaders to want to control, you know, the job that you take or the place that you move to or the people you date or whatever, the way you spend your time, your money. But, but the truth is, if, if, if I could just somehow get my passion in you, if, if we could just find a common passion 
for, for Christ and his kingdom, then I wouldn't have to control what you do. I would know that everything you do, though it may look different than me, it might be outside of my, my perspective or my worldview. You may be into something that I don't know anything about and that might be a glorious way that you can continue to further the cause of Christ and continue to serve the common passion that we have. And so um, these people, they, they all began to speak. And the reason they all began to speak is because they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will find your voice. Maybe your voice is playing the guitar, painting a picture, preaching a sermon, writing a book, writing a poem, making a, a, a YouTube video, baking cookies. Maybe your voice is like, singing, writing funny songs to sing in, in the house with your kids. Maybe your voice is that, uh, is that you come into your work every morning and, uh, or, or every Monday morning with a different note written to a different coworker and you say, hey, this is what the Lord put on my heart for you this week. I just want you to know that I was thinking about you. Like what your voice looks like, it's gonna be totally unique to you, but this is the beauty of, of the kingdom. The truth is that all of these people began to speak. We do not, just because you're not an extrovert, just because you're not articulate, just because you're not persuasive or influential or charismatic does not negate the responsibility you have as a carrier of the presence of God to find your voice because the world needs to know what you have. And so the first note that I wanna make is that they found their voice. And... Uh, so verse four says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem, div, uh, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. There were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together. What did the multitude do? Amen. See, the, the movement of the Spirit always brings people together. Transculturally. Like we can have people speaking Hebrew and Russian and Tagalog and Spanish and English in a room together for the glory of God. Um, when the sound occurred, the multitude came together. They were confused because everyone heard them, them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and they marveled, saying to one another, look, are, these, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Now, um, this, is, this would be my next point, And this is interesting for me because uh, um, before I, I'm, I'm gonna talk about this unity thing, but before I talk about that, I want to make this point. The second point after they found their voice is, is this. They found influence. See, what happens on the other side of you finding your voice is that you find that your voice has the power to change the world around you. Maybe it's the song you sing or the book you write or the, the cookies you bake or, or the message that you preach that when you find your voice, the inevitable byproduct is that you're gonna find that your voice has the power to change things. That's one of the most amazing things when you're watching kids grow is that they, 
and they have this voice and then as they get a little bit older, it clicks with them that they can actually use their voice to get stuff. Like every time I scream, my mom picks me up. This is the best, you know? And then they start to learn words. And then you have kids that are just, they're saying no to everything. Like, do you want grilled cheese sandwiches are your favorite thing in the world? Do you want me to make you one? All you have to do is just sit there. And they're like, no, right? Like what they're doing is, is they're just, they're finding out that their voice has the power to change things. And they're experimenting with that. What does that mean? You know, one of the rules that we have in our, in our house, and I'm trying to do my best to enforce it, is that, uh, is that if you, comp- you, you lose what you complain about. And so like if mom made you a meal and you're like, ugh, your grilled cheese sandwich, it's like, well, that's fine. You don't have to eat it. Like just have fun going to bed hungry, you know? And well, I'm not gonna argue with you, but if you complain about something, you're gonna lose it. And this is a principle, it's, that's a biblical principle, but it's also... Um, practically applicable, we need to make sure that we, we honor what's honorable, you know? It may not be perfect, but it might be perfect for us, you know? And, uh, and the alternative to what we have might be nothing. It's like, don't complain about your job because the alternative could be no job, right? Don't complain about your spouse because the alternative could be no spouse, right? See, this is... Um, this is what we, uh, uh, what we see in the development of our children is that they, uh, they find when they're young and as they get older that their voice has the power to change things. And if we can give them direction to use that power wisely, then I think we've got to be able to take that direction ourselves. That as we find our voice, our voice will inevitably produce influence. Now, please don't get this wrong. I, I don't mean that, that, that you, when you find your voice, it will produce fame Amen. or admiration. When I say influence, I don't mean clicks on your videos or follows on your social media accounts. When I say influence, I mean that because you have found your voice, the world will be different. Maybe, maybe the world will only be different for your spouse or your children or your church members or your next door neighbor or your coworkers, but that matters. It matters to them, Right? And so when you find your voice, then you find that your voice has the power to influence the world around you. That's what these people did. They all began to speak. And, and when the sound occurred, the multitude came together. People were drawn in. They were moved by, by this, this, the voice that these, these early believers had discovered. So they, they found their voice and then they found Influence. It says, and, and when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed. They marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Uh, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, uh, Phrygia, Uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed. Can I, let me, uh, this is not underlined in my Bible and it's a problem I'm gonna fix right now. What was it they were all preaching? The, The, they were speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So if you wanna know what to preach, young preacher, start with the wonderful works of God. 
and then stay there forever. <laughs> That's a good message. Preach on the wonderful works of God. I'm, listen, I'm tired of hearing preachers preach about what the devil's doing. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I want to hear about the wonderful works of God. I don't want to hear about what you're doing. I don't want to hear about what the devil's doing. I want to hear about the wonderful works of God. That's a message worth preaching. So they were all, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they're full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he reads out of Joel chapter two for the next several verses. I'll let you read that if you want, but um, this continues on. And, and so uh, this point I think is worth making that this is Peter, the same Peter that denied Jesus the night he was, uh, he was arrested. This is the same Peter who, cut off a guy's ear to protect Jesus, so zealous. This is the same Peter that rejected or, or that, uh, that rebuked Jesus for his determination to go back to Jerusalem, even knowing that he'd be arrested and killed. And uh, Jesus' response to him was, get behind me, Satan. So if Jesus calls you Satan to your face, like you're messing up big time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is Peter, right? But something happens, like something grips Peter and, and he's not denying anything anymore. Peter's bold as a lion. And he stands up and he begins to proclaim this word. He says, this is a fulfillment. Joel, you guys are all faithful Jews. You should know that Joel prophesied about this a thousand years ago. This is what we've been waiting for. Generation after generation after generation, we've been waiting for a day that he would pour his spirit out on all flesh. That young men would dream dreams and old men uh, would, would have visions. We, we've been waiting for our sons and daughters to prophesy. We've been eagerly anticipating the day that the spirit of God would, would dwell within man. That day has come. What are you gonna do about it? And the Bible says that they were, they were cut to their heart. They were, wanted to know what they had to do. And so, um, so Peter tells them, well, uh, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then it says in, in verse 41, it says, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, I wanna um, point something out to you. Who was it? 3,000 people. What kind of people were these? See, this is the beautiful thing about the context here. Is you have 3,000 people, not 3,000 uh, people from uh, uh, Galilee, not 3,000 people from Jerusalem and the surrounding cities. 3,000 Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, joining to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, all together in one place, 3,000 of them are born again on that day. 3,000 of them become believers in, in the Lord Jesus Christ in that day. And so the last thing, and, and I'll um, wrap it up here. The last thing that these people found, they found their voice, and then they found influence, and then they found family. See, all of these people, they came with their own identity. They came with their own language, their own culture, their own customs, their own way of 
doing things. And, uh, and there, outside the upper room in Jerusalem, they found uh, a superior, a transcendent identity. They found the family that they were born to be a part of. They found their voice, and they found influence, and then they found family. Uh, you guys have all heard me talk about the kingdom, but I don't know if I have ever shared from the pulpit where this came from. Um, you know, my story was uh, of, of discovering the message of the kingdom was this. Uh, probably 10 years ago, uh, the Lord spoke to me about South Africa. And he said, Maddie, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a message uh, for South Africa. And so, you know, naturally, I've been watching Reinhard Bonnke videos, and so I thought this is, millions are getting saved. Let's do this, you know? Like, I'm gonna swing the sickle. It's time for, for another great awakening on the, the African continent. God's gonna use me to spearhead this, this movement. And, and so uh, I sat on that word. I shared it with my wife, a couple of people close to me, and I just sat on it. I didn't know anyone in South Africa. I'd never been there before. I didn't have any connection to the land. And, uh, and it wasn't until probably five years later that uh, I did get invited to go uh, minister in South Africa. Uh, there's a, a network of churches there uh, some of their main leaders had, had followed my ministry for some time, so they reached out. I went there for like two weeks and, and uh, got to speak at like five or six different churches all over the nation. And so I was in Cape Town, I was in Johannesburg, I was in Potterstrom, like all, all around. And, um, and during my time there, uh, you know, I, I thought, or, or, or leading up to my time there, I, th- I thought God's going to give me some earth-shattering message for South Africa. Like I'm gonna preach the best messages this nation has ever heard. And so I would just go into to the prayer closet and say, all right, Lord, you know, I got my notebook out. Like, let's, let's hear it. And uh, I just didn't get anything that felt like revolutionary. You know, I, I didn't have any kind of great revelation or prophetic declaration for this, this land. Uh, I, just, I just went out there. And, um, and I preached the same messages that I'd been preaching about you know, giving your life to Jesus. And, uh, and people responded and lives were touched and I'm, I'm grateful for that. But what I did while I was out there, I, I was just, I asked a lot of questions. I sat with pastors and leaders and I asked them, you know, uh, what's it like being a pastor in South Africa? I did a lot more listening than I did talking. And uh, we went to the Nelson Mandela Museum and learned a lot about uh, apartheid and um, some of the horrors and some of the beauties that, that came um, as a result of that. And... Uh, uh, and, and then, you know, while I, while I was there, there was sort of this common theme as I would talk to pastors. You know, here in the United States, we have a national language, and that national language is English. You know, there's some people in the States that speak German, you know, mostly in the Midwest. You have people in the South, in the Southwest that speak Spanish, but we really, we have only one sort of nationally recognized official language um, in our country. In South Africa, they have 11 official national languages. And so you can imagine the sort of the cultural divisions that there are. Because, see, here in, in the States, you may speak a different language, but you're still, you, know, you still have American values. You eat American food. You live in an American house. You drive American cars. It's like there's, some, there's, there's a common culture that's been produced by all of these different cultures that have come together in this melting pot of a society that we have. But in South Africa, it's really different. See, these people that speak these 11 official national languages, they don't just speak the language. 
but they wear the clothes, they eat the food, they listen to the music, they, they embrace the, the historical figures. Uh, the, you know, I heard from one pastor and his wife, they were, uh, they were, Dutch, uh, they, they were the descendants of Dutch settlers in, in Northern South Africa, the Boer people, and uh, they spoke uh, Afrikaans, and there's another group that spoke, uh, uh, that spoke English, English settlers, and the, uh, the Boer people that speak Afrikaans, the, they're, they're uh, white people that are uh, descended from, from Dutch settlers. There was a big battle um, between them and the, and the Zulu tribe that Shaka Zulu led at, at the, battle of, the Battle of Blood River, it's what it's called. And so they would tell me in great depth about the Battle of Blood River, about what happened there and, and why it was important and the consequences of it. And so they're, they're telling me about their... Uh, their, their cultural heritage, their ancestors that went before them, battles that they fought, victories that they won, accomplishments and contributions that they had. They're talking to me about, about the, the food that they eat, the songs that they sing, the kind of clothes that they wear. Uh, you know, there's a, down in, in Cape Town, there's a, a large demographic of what they would call colored people. You get in a fight using that phrase here in the States, but they would call me, uh, uh, you know, a light-skinned uh, person of, of African descent, half I'm half black and half white. And so they would call me a colored person. But in Cape Town, colored people, they have their own food. It's like colored people food. And they have their own music and they wear certain types of clothes. Like all of these groups, these 11 different groups that are coexisting in South Africa, they all have their own robust and complete cultural identity. And so while I was there, you know, I would talk to the pastors about, you know, what are some of the challenges that you'd see? And and what I heard from these guys is, is they said, you know, the challenge that we, we see because of this is, you know, if we sing in Afrikaans, then Zulu people won't come to our church. And uh, if we preach in English, then Boer people won't come to our church. The Kosa people, they won't come to our church if we sing worship songs in Zulu or if we preach in, in the Zulu language. And so uh, we have to just pick a culture and minister to only that culture. And it's frustrating because there's so many people we would love to reach them all, but we just, we can't do it. They won't, they won't respond to it. And, uh, and I could feel the frustration in the heart of God as these guys would, I mean, with tears rolling down their cheeks, they're telling me like, we want to reach these people, but they won't come. And, uh, and, and toward the end of my time there in South Africa, and even on the way back and in the months after I returned, um, I began to realize you know, the problem, and the problem is that nobody has told, nobody is telling these people that if you are going to come into the kingdom of God, you have to divorce yourself from your cultural identity. You don't get the privilege of being Zulu and kingdom. You don't get the privilege of being American and kingdom. If we, if we are going to become citizens of heaven, we have to denounce the citizenship that we were raised with. We have to denounce the culture that we were raised with. And we have to come into a a superior culture, one that transcends the language that we speak naturally, the color of our skin, the food we like to to eat or the clothes we like to wear. And this is, you have all heard me saying this kind of stuff, but you should know where it came from. It, It wasn't a message for South Africa. Well, maybe it was for South Africa. I don't know if South Africa ever is ever gonna wanna hear it again, but uh um, but it was a message because of South Africa. The Lord awakened in me what has become probably my primary life message. 
And that is the message of the kingdom, that if we are going to be citizens of the kingdom, we cannot keep one foot in the culture of the world and one foot in the culture of the kingdom. We have to say, I belong exclusively to Christ. I belong exclusively to Christ and to his kingdom. So I don't wanna, I don't wanna represent American Christianity. I wanna represent the kingdom of God. I don't wanna represent, it, it always makes me cringe when people are like, you know, my mom didn't want me to get tattoos, but you have tattoos, Pastor Matty. Is it, is it okay? It's like, I don't wanna be the poster boy for tattoos. <laughs> you know, like, they're not important to me at all. Uh, what's important to me is representing the kingdom of heaven. That's what I, that's what I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not here trying to endear Northeast Tennessee to black people. Like I don't, I don't represent black America. I represent the kingdom of God. And so um, what we see at the end of this passage is that these people, a dozen different nations, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, joining to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, all of these people, they leave the families that they were raised by, and they come into the family of God. They leave the, the, the countries that they once swore allegiance to, and they come into the country of, of the Lord. They leave the empires that raised them, that nurtured them, that sent them, and they come into the empire of the kingdom of heaven. And so they find their voices when the Holy Spirit is poured out. They find influence when the Holy Spirit is, find, is poured out. And then they find family when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And so uh, there's much more that I could say. I, I, Lord willing, I'm gonna get us to Acts chapter four at some point. Um, but we gotta get out of Acts chapter two first. But I don't think we're gonna do it today. We're gonna take our time and make sure that we hear all that God wants to say. Amen. Amen. Um, and so I wanna tell you, um, God wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to all those who ask him? If you have not been filled with the Holy Spirit, ask him. Before you leave here today, ask him. And I'm telling you, the answer will be yes. And then you get to begin the journey of finding your voice, finding your influence, and finding family, really where you belong. Amen. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that we don't have to try to navigate life in this world alone, that you have sent the, the presence and the power of God to, to dwell within us, to give us direction, to give us clarity, to give us conviction and confidence, to give us purpose and power. Lord, we thank you that we get to we get to follow as you lead and, and we pray that you would teach us to take a back seat, to relinquish our need to control or even to understand. But teach us to trust you more than we've ever trusted you before and to follow great spirit as you lead. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to glorify Jesus and to use us as your instruments uh, to do so. We say, Holy Spirit, be exalted in this house, be exalted in our lives, be exalted in our, our actions, and, um, and we ask you to move us out of the way so that Christ can be seen through us. Lord, we love you and we bless you. We thank you um, that we are not alone and that your Holy Spirit is a constant reminder of that fact. Lord, we, we honor you 
Thank you for all that you've done in this house today. And we say, we want more. We want more. Take us deeper. Take us deeper. Take us deeper, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Family, I love you. Uh, if you uh, are, if you still need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, just grab the person next to you. They're going to be really thrilled to lay hands on you and pray for the Spirit of God to fill you today. Um, everybody, you are wonderful. Um, make sure that you come and, and tell Sergey how much he means to us and how much we love him. Um, blessings to you guys. Just a reminder, we won't be here Wednesday night. Take your wife on a date Wednesday. Uh, but we will... But we will be here Friday for the block party. It's going to be uh, lit, as they say. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you. See you soon. Thank you for tuning in to this service from the Altar Fellowship. We pray that you were impacted powerfully by this message. If you have been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with the Altar as we work to establish the Kingdom of Heaven, please visit our website at www.thealter.org.